Listeners to my podcast know how much I love stories. So I am really excited to announce to you my new sponsor, the award-winning podcast, Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls. I first got a wind of this when I read the book several years ago, and now it's a podcast, which is awesome. And this podcast, in the podcast, you're going to meet a lot of amazing women from all over the world that have changed the world in so many ways. People like Wang Zanai, an astronomer who showed why we have lunar eclipses. Wangari Matai from Kenya, who started the Green Belt Movement that planted over 40 million trees worldwide that, that allowed her to be awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for her work. Only 19% of children's books showcase women who have jobs or have career ambitions. So we need our girls to have more positive role models to show them what's possible when they dream bigger. And what's also interesting is all the stories in the podcast are narrated by inspiring women from all the different worlds of art and music and business and sports. People like Melinda Gates, entrepreneur Laureen Powell-Jobes, and Gail King from CBS. And this award-winning podcast was named the Best Family and Kids Podcast and the Top Educational Podcast by iTunes, which is amazing. The podcast is made by Rebel Girls for Rebel Girls, which means it's told from a women-first perspective. The new season started a few months ago, so give the Rebel Girl in your life the confidence to dream bigger. Find goodnight stories for Rebel Girls wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hello, Dr. Tim Jordan here, and thanks for stopping by this podcast, Raising Daughters. And if you're a parent who wants to remain an influence in your daughter's life now and throughout the teen years and forever, you are in the right place. And today is going to be an interesting discussion. We're going to talk about phones and technology and, and the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so I, you know, there's been so many inventions and, and there's been so many technologies that have come along for the last several hundred years starting with the written language and moving on to things like, you know, the printing press and the railroads and the telegraph and the radio and all those kinds of things. And at every step of the way, there was anxiety. Everybody was talking about how, oh my gosh, the whole world's going to explode and we're going to lose our connections, too much information, overload. That's been true all along the way, but this really intensified when it comes to things like our cell phones and our social media. So I thought I would call on somebody who just wrote a very interesting book, which all of you should get. The title of the book is Goodbye Phone, Hello World, 60 Ways to Disconnect from Tech and Reconnect to Joy. I almost wanted to introduce you as Henry David Thoreau, <laughs> but the author of that book is actually Paul Greenberg. And thank you so much for stopping by and, and, uh, and joining us here on, on uh, Raising Daughters. Thanks so much for having me. So you say in, the, in your book that you exchange your smartphone for a dumb phone. And so I'm sure it's a, it's a I know it's kind of a long story because I read your book, but yeah. in, in just sort of a shortened version, what, what was the trigger? Mostly it's just having children and having um, this moment where I sat down and I counted up all the hours I spent on my phone during the 12 years of my son's existence on, on this planet. And I realized that when you added it all up during the course of 12 years, an entire waking year of my time had been spent looking at my phone. Average Americans spent something like um, 1,400 hours a year on their phone. And again, if you add it all up, it adds up to basically a waking year over the course of a dozen years. And I suddenly was like, you know, my son is 12. He's going into his teenage years. He didn't have a smartphone at that point. Um, he was under a lot of pressure to get one. Um, and I'll say right up, uh, right up front, I don't think any middle schooler or younger should have a smartphone. 
but we can return to that later. Um, but I realized that I, you know, I kept like many parents, I'd say, you know, you should get off your phone. Um, you should pay more attention to life, blah, blah, blah. But you know, as a parent, what you do is so much more important than what you say. You and I realized, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and I just realized like, you know, enough is enough. And so, you know, like I went to the store, I said, take my smartphone, give me a dumb phone. And that's where I've been for over a year now. Um, and I haven't regretted a moment of it. So you haven't missed out? What? Well, <laughs> I mean, so actually it's funny, you know, as I was saying to you when we were sort of just chatting before the interview, you're the first person to really talk to me about this book as a, you know, as a radio interviewer, as a podcast interviewer. And um, so I've been, you know, in that sort of pre-book publication thing, I've been kind of, what do I write about? What do I think about? What do I talk about? But so I did start a little running list of what were the pluses and what were the minuses. Um, biggest plus of all was that you know how it goes in the course of your day where you start out on your computer and then you take your phone with you and you take your phone with you and you come back, you put your phone down, you go back to the computer. And it's just like this completely hermetic virtual bubble that you're in from dawn till dusk. Breaking that hermetic bubble opened up a tremendous amount of creative space for me. Um, and I was able to actually, I'm, I've been a nonfiction writer for over 20 years now, um, but I'd started as a novelist. So I actually wrote and completed a novel during this time. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I slept better. I read longer and more, I would say, difficult books. Um, I think I had better interactions with my son, less distracted interactions with him. Um, actually, funnily enough, this was sort of an experiment I did. So I don't know like how much you spend on your phone every day, money, or every month money-wise, but my plan, I think it ended up costing like 80 bucks a month, something like that, right? With all the bells and whistles and everything like that. So I got rid of that and it was, my, my monthly charge went down to 20 bucks. So I had this extra 60 bucks. I'm like, what am I gonna do with that extra 60 bucks? So I was like, I don't know, let's, let's throw it in weird places. So I know this is like for teenage girls, but I thought, okay, on the verge of legalizing marijuana, let's throw some money into legalizing marijuana stocks. <laughs> totally tanked, lost everything. Da, 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 da. That, that happened with like $180. But the other money I put into a solar energy um, ETF, um, sort of mutual fund type deal, that has totally taken off. So I've ended up with much more money than, than the original amount. And now I took that money and actually hired, I always wanted to learn modern, modern Greek. Um, and I hired a Greek teacher, and I've been, um, even with the COVID and stuff, we meet at six feet distance, and I've been learning Greek. Um, so I can now say, uh, what do you say? Katerbena Velenika, legal I understood exactly what you said. You don't have yeah, no, it, means, it means I understand a little Greek. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, overall, I just felt like uh, I opened up a, a new space that had been closed. And it flowered in many different ways. You know, you're, what, I think what you did is admirable. And but you're, if trying to get other people to sort of buy in, I yeah. think you're kind, you're kind of fighting some myths, a myth of busyness, a myth of multitasking. Those are so entrenched now that those things are important, expected, good for us. When in reality, research says those things are not good for us. No, and you know, again, empirically, I also looked at how much money I made in the year without a phone and the year with a phone. And I'm, you know, I'm a freelance writer. So I, the, exactly the kind of person who needs to be networked and blah, 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 blah. 
I actually made a little more money without the phone. And I think it's in part because I was able to produce deeper, more profound thought. But yes, busyness, one of my pet peeves, like, oh, you know, in the last five or 10 years since the iPhone appeared in 2006, how many times have you heard, I'm so busy, crazy busy, can't talk to Nate now, really crazy busy. But yet, when you go and delve down into the statistics, what you're finding is most, and they, they have actual numbers on this, the vast majority of the time that um, people are spending being busy on their phones is on social media. So it's not that the phone doesn't serve some sort of um, technical purpose. And then I, you know, I have to say, in the course of this year, I came across all sorts of interesting ways people use their phone. Um, a friend of mine, a uh, newish friend, um, an editor, um, her son has diabetes and she actually has an app which is able to like check her son's blood sugar level. I mean, that's freaking incredible. Of course we should have that. But the problem is, is that there's this thing called the attention economy. And the way the attention economy works is it makes money off of you looking at the screen. It sells advertising based on the stickiness and, and your search history based on how much you're focusing on something. So it is in your phone's interest to keep you looking at it, whether or not it's good for you. So I think that's like the number one thing is that, you know, it always helps with dealing with phone addiction and just phone use is what I is to take a pause and say, is what I'm doing right now what I want to do? Or am I doing what the phone wants me to do? And I think that's a, just a really important distinction. And for 150,000 years, our brain was wired to, to look for novelty. You know, for, for, look things, for, novelty. It, for, for survival. And that even though it's 2020 and whatever, it, that still, that still rules our, our, that still rules our brain. That's right. And I think, you know, uh, who was it? Uh, one of the co-founders of Facebook said that, you know, basically these devices take advantage of a glitch in human brain pro programming, which is precisely that. It's, you know, several things. We're looking for novelty. We're, we're, we're looking through the landscape for movement, for things that change that might be food, but we're also endlessly looking for status, right? I mean, we're primates. We're organized around, um, we, we, we put our self-worth based on how people like us, how people value us. And so, of course, loaded into the phone are so many ways of assessing our status, whether it's likes or clicks or comments or snaps, snap streaks, all these kinds of things feed into this thing. And that to me is part of the first step of kind of stepping back from this device is knowing that somebody is hacked into essential human behaviors. It's not, and, and here's an, I think another point, and I'm not the first one person to say this, there are a lot of other good books out there that have said this, but um, people who are in a sort of phone addicted situation, and I'd say that's probably most of us, yeah. it, it's not your fault. Like you shouldn't feel guilty because, oh no, I'm on my phone all the time. Billions and billions and billions of dollars are being spent um, with very, very precise psychological studies to keep you uh, looking at exactly what is right for you. And you know, you, you began the, the discussion talking about how there have been all these different kinds of media that have come across, you know, the, starting with the book, the printing press, and then the book, and radio, and then television. Um, and each of them has gotten a little better at watching us oh. as we've gone along. Um, I, I think in the book, what I liken it to is host and virus. Right? So we're the host and the media that is kind of 
we're pursuing and is pursuing us is kind of the virus. We adapt, like, you know, like look at television, right? Remember, you know, we're old enough to remember when TiVo was a thing. Remember, like, when suddenly, oh, well, the host, the virus tried to get us with advertising, sticking advertising in between blocks of interesting programming. Well, we invented this thing called TiVo, which allowed you to tape your show and then you could skip right over the advertisement so you wouldn't have to do that. What the phone does is it's so specifically adapted to you and so specifically drawing on exact inputs that you're making is that no kind of TiVo is going to filter that out. And mm -hmm. so that at a certain point, the only solution is to just shut the thing down. My wife and I travel a fair amount giving talks all over the place. Yeah. I've met, I've met some, I've met several people, a handful of people who are CEOs or, or person who uh, invented some of these programs and, and these uh, social media platforms and uh, uh, CEO of, of Verizon, people who, who, who are in the business. And every one of them has said, I will not let my kid have a phone or be on social media to at least high school. Everyone has said that and emphatically, like there's no way I'm letting my kids on this. I know what it does. I know what we're doing. But and so therefore my kids aren't on it. I mean, and that's crazy. Like that that's crazy that you would be able to push a product like that on others. And you're absolutely right. I mean, I've heard, you know, like you, you as a as a specialist in um child development, you must know about the whole Waldorf school mm -hmm. movement. You know, Waldorf schools which are very, very, you know, tech, you know, tech limiting and so forth. There's a huge movement to get kids into Waldorf schools in Silicon Valley, precisely because of this, because <laughs> they recognize that they don't want their children involved in all this. I mean, it's equivalent to, you know, probably there's, you know, a fair share of food executives who know exactly what the problem is with sugared cereals and only have oatmeal in the house. You yeah. know, it's, yeah. a, it's the same kind of thing. So, I mean, the, the dastardly thing though, that unlike sugar cereal, which, um, you know, frankly, you could just not buy the sugar cereal. Um, the phone just makes its way into your house. And, you know, I had, we had a very strict policy in my house with my son where he didn't have an iPhone up until he just recently were allowing him one with very limited app accessibility. But, you know, all the kids in middle school had one and they are just trying to pull him in, trying to pull him in, getting him on Instagram, you know, wanting him to get on all these different social media. But we had to resist. And I think, again, I think there's no fault in putting your foot down, especially if you have girls, you know, where image consciousness and self-judging and self-curating are real, real problems. I think there's no fault whatsoever in limiting that, at least until they get to high school. I'm interviewing a New York Times bestselling author, Paul Greenberg, who's got a new book out called Goodbye Phone, Hello World, 60 Ways to Disconnect from Tech and Reconnect to Joy. It's a great little book. Um, you, you mentioned before that in this past year when you've been uh, dumbed, dumbed down to a uh, not smartphone, yeah. that uh, you had more time for uh, quiet time, creativity. Yeah. Talk about that for a minute because there's a lot of research that talks about our need for that and it's hard to get it. That's right. Yeah, I mean, we often confuse boredom uh, with um, a negative connotation with inactivity or something. Laziness. Laziness. But in fact, um, it turns out neurological studies of the brain show that with stimulation removed, i.e. In, in a boring, empty situation, we're more likely to um, sort of turn off what's called the default network in our brains 
the judging, the, the, the processing side of our brains and turn inward into self-reflection. And this can happen in the form of meditation. Um, this can happen in the form of basic creativity. Often it happens in the form of dreams. Um, you know, one of the things that I mentioned and that I found useful during my iPhone-less year was getting more in touch with my dreams. Um, you know, a lot of people, kids especially, right, teenagers especially, they wake up and what do they do? They immediately turn to their telephone or to, to, their, uh, to their iPhone. That interstice, once you put the phone away and enjoy that half an hour to an hour after you've woken up, recall your dreams, um, be in that quiet place, I find it sets a really healthy tone for the rest of the day. Um, one of the things I started doing is starting a dream journal, um, which a number of different um, Jungian psychologists in particular recommend, where you have a journal where one side of the book, the journal is words, and the other side is images. And you just very carefully, meticulously record your dreams day after day. And um, I think it was Jung who said that the person who does this uh, manages to kind of create a landscape of the mind that brings you to a place of self-knowledge that is kind of incredible. And, um, you know, I can't say that I'm an entirely different person since I started doing it, uh, but I do think I'm a more peaceful person. And I do think, as I say, the creative aspect of my mind has been, um, I think, turned on in a really good way. Plus your brain, I'm, I'm guessing, is a lot less distracted. I've read all kinds of data talking about when people multitask for every minute that they are distracted, like you're, like if you're you're writing your book and you're kind of into it, and all of a sudden you know, being the the phone rings and you check out a message for a minute, that for every minute of distraction, it takes anywhere from ten to twenty ish minutes to get back to that same level of focus, which is which is amazing to me. It's a, it's a startling loss, you yeah. know. It's a startling loss, and you know, I don't know if you've ever done this. You know, you as a writer must like look. You know, whenever I look at a Whenever I read a book, I always look back at an author's bibliography and what they've written. You look at somebody like Anthony Trollope, you know, 40, 50 novels. How, and he also had a full-time job at the post office, for crying out loud. How, how did he do that? Well, the, the key is he didn't have other distractions. Um, and he didn't lose, as you say, that 20 minutes to get back to that one minute of focus. It's really, really key. Um, it's also interesting... Um, one of the things I talked to a really interesting guy named Tim Shanahan, who's kind of an expert on reading um, based in Chicago and does a lot of studies and worked with a lot of studies on reading. But what he found is that when you read on paper, um, that you are much, much likely to have better comprehension um, and to end up really with knowledge transferred from the paper to your mind. Um, the reason being, it's exactly that multitasking kind of thing. When you're reading online and there's a link or a flashing advertisement or whatever, all of those represent a fork in the road of attention. And if you're offered those forks again and again and again, not only are you winnowing away at your ability to pay attention, you're also actually tiring your mind out. And you know that feeling you have, do you ever like set yourself a day where, where you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna write today. Today's gonna be my writing day. And then for whatever reason, you get drawn into this and blah, 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 blah. Before you know it, two hours have gone by, the frazzled, you know, that particular frazzly feeling you have in your brain, that is what goes away when you put down your phone for an extended period of time. And not having that and seeing that difference is really, really remarkable. 
Yeah, I, I totally agree. And that's why I, I asked, I guess it's your editor or whoever to send me a paper copy of your book. <laughs> well, <laughs> Which I appreciate very much, by the way. Well, you know, you put your finger, you know, on a funny little dilemma of this book campaign, because um, I actually, I quit two out of the three social media that I was on. I kept on, I kept Twitter, mostly because I felt like that, you know, of all the three that I was on, they were maybe the most socially responsible, although it's really hard to say. Um, but also, I'm a journalist, and you know, I have to have one foot in this door. But um, what I found is uh, what I'm finding as as now that I'm going out on tour, uh, there's a pandemic. Everybody, you know, somebody sent joke to me that the book should have been called called uh, "Hello Phone Goodbye World," um, <laughs> <laughs> given you know this total lockdown that we've had, and so kind of getting the word out without being a hypocrite you know, has been a little bit of a problem. Um, I've sometimes had to rely on surrogates, you know, who are still on Facebook to put the thing out. I'm sometimes accused in my own family of basically using others as my phone. Like, hey, <laughs> will you look that up for me? But at the same time, I do think that I do spend, I'm a writer and I spend a lot of time alone. And um, I, in fairness to, in, and in deference to my friends who call me that, I think they're not entirely right because they haven't seen anyone on alone. And they don't see that I'm spending a lot of time unconnected. You talk in the book too a little bit about deep reading, which I yeah. which which I'm actually I'm a reader, so I love books like that. Although I've my last several books I've written, I've made them short, yeah, because people tell me, yeah, and I, <laughs> yeah, well, but people tell me, and I think it's kind of true that they don't want to read a big old fat deep reading kind of book that they want it sh more short and sweet. So, uh, can you talk a minute just about the the value of deep reading? Well, deep reading, I mean, there's interesting studies that show that deep reading, that is reading books, actually um, contributes to longer life, if you can believe it. That I people, saw that. that was amazing. And, yeah, that's, you know, and, and not, not a significant uh, increase in the length of your life. So um, I don't know if it's because you're staying out of trouble because you're reading books. Um, but um, I think it probably leads to, I would venture, as somebody who also has to deal, you know, like I'm 53 and I have a history of cardiovascular disease in my family and so questions of blood pressure come up. I would imagine that deep reading takes you to a better blood pressure place, a better calmer place. Um, and I will also say to your point about the question of like, are we all reading shorter books now? What I will tell you is that away from the phone, I did take on bigger books than I was mm. used to, um, than I had been reading. So I read um, Isabel Wilkerson's great book, um, The Warmth of Other Suns, about the Great Migration. And uh, it, the book took some patience, you know, and, it, yeah. and, but I stayed with it and, and, and I feel glad that I did. The other thing I think is really interesting, and it doesn't always work, but it's interesting to read books from the time before the iPhone and from actually from the time before computers. And sometimes, you know, you can say, oh, these people, I don't know what they're doing. It's, it's all slow. It's too slow. You know, the world is much faster. But actually, the true artists, the really great writers, hold your attention. Um, they just require you to calm down a little bit. Yeah. Uh, we're talking to Paul Greenberg, the author of a a new book called Goodbye Phone, Hello World, 60 Ways to Disconnect from Tech and Reconnect to Joy. You mentioned your, your, your kids a minute ago and, and sort of the, the give and take of, is he going to get a phone, blah, 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 all that stuff. So yeah. to me, it's, it's, I think with every family, there has to be sort of this ongoing discussion about balance and when, how much, when, when can we have breaks, whatever. So how do you, how do you maneuver that with your family? Well, you know, and here I um, relied on a few different books that I'd read um, that I thought were pretty good. Um, uh, the book uh, uh, Alone Together, like another that. book, 
uh, not, uh, yeah, and reclaiming conversation. I'm sorry, I'm blanking on the author, but um, Sherry Turkle. Sherry Turkle, yes. Yeah. Um, I'll say it again. Uh, I relied on Sherry Turkle's great books, Alone Together, um, and Reclaiming Conversation. Yeah. And what those books and what Sherry has said, and I really agree with her, is that you need to make rules that are kind of in concert with your kids, like the fiat from above. You know. You shall not have phones from nine to ten. Um, it just doesn't. It doesn't work. Um, you have to bring them into the discussion, and, and really, it's kind of. I say. I think you need to begin with this discussion about media literacy. You know, of, of what what is the phone really doing to you when you're watching it? Why are why are you so engaged with your phone? And just to explain to them what are the dynamics that keep you looking and keep you watching phones for so long. The other thing is that. I think it's important that you, as a family, agree on certain times when phones are just not available. Um, the obvious one is meal times, um, and I would say, even though you know phones have gone in and out of our family in different ways, shape, or form, we have always, always, always pre preserved breakfast and dinner, and now lunch because everybody's home. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. But this, this, this thing of making kind of lunch or meals a kind of drive-by event. In between phones, I think that's totally a bad thing. So start with meals, and then you know, actually, Sherry Turkle brought up another interesting thing, which is that the mere presence of a phone on the table has a has a observable tendency to shallow out conversations, precisely because you know your phone's here, right? I'm talking to you over there. My phone's over here. What's this going to bring me, right? And so I'm always going to be thinking. I'm not gonna fully commit to this if this is over here on my left. I realize this might be audio only, but suffice to say there's some hand waving going it's on. It's a phantom ring, right? Looking, the phantom ring, people just anticipate. People anticipate, and you know, and as you mentioned earlier, you know, the hardwiring of our evolution for more than 100,000 years has us on the lookout for these things in the corner of our minds, because, or corner of our vision, because you know, that's how we hunted a lot of times, right? Yeah. Um, so I think getting the phones not only off during meal times but off the table entirely, I think, is a really good way to start. Um, I think, you know, there are certain red flags that we have to watch out for for our children. I think, particularly with girls, we have to be really careful of curation and self-curation, um, making yourself look different than you actually are. Trying to use that the editing devices on your phone, I think that then creates this really poor feedback loop of how you feel about yourself and how you would like to change yourself physically. And I would venture probably leads to all kinds of things that involve body image um, yeah. and problems down the line. So you know, yeah. Even things like I had a cup of coffee with, with um, a young woman, oh, last week. She's in her second year after high school, after graduating from high school. And so she, she uh, didn't have enough money to go to a four-year college, so she was going to junior college and took a few classes, and she was working, and, and then she didn't go to any classes this semester. Yeah. And so she's being judged by that by a lot of people. And she, yeah. said, she said she had, she had to stop her, her um, social media because when she would look on there and see people at their colleges partying and having all this fun and people talking about their futures and they're going to get this internship in New York this summer, blah, 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 she felt terrible about herself yeah. it's not just about how you look it's even about what you're doing absolutely so she so she said i stopped doing social media good for her i mean that's the thing i mean you know 
curation isn't just image curation, as you say, it's yeah. a sort of narrative curation. Everybody, nobody appears to be having a bad time on Facebook <laughs> unless they're caught, you know, in some embarrassing social situation. But yeah, so, so, and, and again, you know, if you, there's a fair amount of Buddhist investigation that I did as part of this book, you know, and huge part of Buddhist contentment is not obsessing about how your life could be better, but accepting your life for what it is. And, you know, I, listen, I'm not like, you know, one of these people who's like, goes into like self-help modes all the time, but it's just very, very, it, to me, it's just black and white. If, if you're constantly looking at things of the way your life could be better, how could you possibly be satisfied with your life? Yeah. You know, what I found uh, in the last, I guess it's 10-ish years, I guess, is that when, when girls come to my weekend retreats and my summer camps, when they're yeah. checking in, one of our questions is, where's your phone? <laughs> and so and so a lot of times they go, well, yeah. and they, it's so funny because they'll have all these reasons. Like it's my alarm clock. I can't fall asleep without music. It's where I have my music. And we yeah. go, yeah, that's up. Oh, sounds awesome. Hand it to your parents. What's fascinating, let me, is a little quick inter, interjection here. Sometimes parents will sneak a phone to their kids because they can't <laughs> not talk to their 16-year-old even, you know, for two days if it's a weekend retreat. But after the weekend, at the end, if I go around the circle, which I do all the time, I say, how many of you missed your phone? Nobody missed their phone. Okay. If it's been a week of summer camp, they're like, it was great. It was so nice to not have to worry about it. They, and I think that they just need to experience that. So it's not, like you said before, it's not mom and dad saying, you know, you can't. It's more like, I don't want to. I mean, I, I get the value now. I felt, I, I experienced and felt the value of just not having to think about it for a few days or a week. Yeah. And I sometimes wonder, I mean, devil's advocate, I wonder if we're all going to get tired of this, you know? Um, I wonder if, I mean, particularly right now in this election season, um, it's a funny time to be having this book come out because, you know, so many people are, you know, I've heard, if you heard the term doom scrolling, you know, where they're just going through <laughs> bad news after bad news after bad news. Um, but so many people would just like to throw their phones in the garbage at this point. Um, and I, I kind of hope there is going to be this moment where we're just going to be sick of it. It's kind of like, you know, when you and I were kids, right? On a Saturday morning, remember after watching like three hours of cartoons and you just yeah. like enough of this. You know? yeah. Um, yeah. But the, but that's the, you know, again, that's the problem of the phone is that there's so much that's useful interwoven with so much that's distracting. And, you know, there are a lot of, you know, what's, what are called, um, digital humanists out there who are saying that we need to have technology where they start to unbundle that stuff, you know, where you can have a phone that might just only have a map function, um, might only have, you know, medical apps if you need them. Just a few things that you need rather than having to have this whole thing bundled together. And I think, you know, for one, I think that would be a great start. And you, you talked about in your book too, but all the things you can turn off. <laughs> Yes. Well, the, well, the apps and things that keep popping up, you know, who, that want you to, to keep looking at them. You, you talk about that for a minute. Yeah, well, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I remember there was a time, two, a couple, three years ago, a bunch of my friends were saying, ah, oh, you know, I wish I, I'm just constantly getting alerts from my, the New York Times. Surprise, you could turn that off. So like right away. Nobody should have any news alerts on their phone. I think all that stuff should be turned off. The manufacturers want those on, but you can turn them off. Um, 
other interesting things, which I only realized, again, after doing some research, you can actually turn the color on your phone to grayscale. And people say to me, well, why would I want to do that? It's so ug much uglier that way. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> if you turn your phone to black and white, then again, it becomes that much more of a tool and that less of a distraction. Um, you can do, you know, there are other things that you can do um, in terms of just like simply swiping out and quitting a number of programs. You can do other things like take your, take your apps and put them inside of folders. So that takes more than one click to get to them. So you put in a folder, so you have to click on the folder, you click on the app. It's that knee jerk sort of, oh, I gotta do this thing. Um, there's a pretty good book that came out a couple of years ago um, called uh, How to Break Up With Your Phone that I thought was pretty pretty clever title, good book. And you know, she was saying that, um, she, she called the concept speed bumps, introducing speed bumps between you and the technology. Because, you know, the technology, you know, we heard this word in, in, in the digital space in, 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 in um, Silicon Valley. We, they're always trying to achieve frictionless passage from one app to the next, from one function to the next. We needed the friction, actually, because the friction represents an opportunity to return to our own minds. We're talking to Paul Greenberg, author of, of a new book called Goodbye Phone, Hello World, 60 Ways to Disconnect from Tech and Reconnect to Joy. It's a, it's a great little book, too. It's easy to read, and it's got lots of good examples in here, which makes it fun to read. Uh, and just a couple more questions, if you have just yeah. another minute. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I was, and, by the, uh, and by the way, I just want to say the reason it's a little book is intentional, because there actually are a number of really great longish books on these subjects. But yeah. what I found is that um, people are so distracted now, they can't get through them. So like, to me, this is a book, as I said, it's a series of crumbs to lead you back to deeper thinking. But go ahead with your questions. You, I'm sorry, I interrupted. Well, I was going to say that yeah, we, we're, not, we're not here bashing phones or social media, but there's value, like you said at the very beginning. And I think a lot of times when we start talking about things like social media, we start bashing kids, like, like, like they're the ones who are abusing it. They're yeah. the ones who are being addicted when the truth is that we're just as bad or worse than them. So I think you can speak to this. I think one of the first things that we need to do as parents is we need to look in the mirror and say, oh, yeah. what do I need to do? Because my kids are just going to mirror me. That's right. And you know, how many times have you seen this circle of somebody's on their, the parent is on their phone, they're, they're scroll, scrolling, and then they notice that their kids on their phone's like, hey, get off your phone. And then they go back to their phone and the kid says, you're on your phone. And then, you know, it goes back and forth and back and forth. I remember uh, there was a movie came out a couple of years ago called Screenagers, you might have seen. And, uh, and I just I remember a mom, a mom friend of mine just kept yelling at her children, if you don't get off your phone, I'm going to make you watch Screenagers again. And then she, the daughter's like, I'm going to make you watch Screenagers, you know. Um, so, yeah, so you have to model good behavior. And, you know, personally, I know myself, I'm obsessed with compulsive. Uh, in many ways. You go to the movie theater with me, you do not want to share popcorn with me. I will eat all the popcorn. And, and, and that's what I knew. I know from phones, from 10 years to phones, that I just don't really have very good self-control. And so this is a moment where you have to understand how, they're, they're, listen, there are much better people than me who control themselves much better than I. And maybe those people don't need to get rid of their iPhone and switch to a flip phone. I needed to do that because I know that I couldn't control myself. Some people can do things like empty out as many apps as possible off your phone, leaving your phone at home when you can. Um, there are some interesting technological innovations. Um, there's a sort of uh, a kind of pilot project out there called a light phone, 
which is a phone that connects to a phone that just basically is a phone and text and I think maybe some maps that then has a has the same phone, phone number as your smartphone, but allows you to leave your smartphone at home and take the smart the uh, the light phone out on the road. So maybe the, those kinds of things could grow to become more valuable. But the most important thing I think is to test yourself and to understand yourself and yeah. know how can you limit your compulsions. After watching recently the documentary Social Dilemma, have you seen that? Yeah. So I, that if you, I'm glad you saw it because maybe you can take yourself off the hook a little bit because <laughs> it's not your fault either because. Because you know the, the companies who sell all these things and create all these things are doing it for a reason, so it's really hard to resist. Absolutely, I mean, and I say in the book, you know, some of these people have wealth. Some of these social network people have accrued wealth equivalent to what the pharaohs of Egypt had relative to the general population. And when you have that much uh, wealth on your hands, and your that wealth is being literally being built built out of the bricks of other people's consciousness, what's the motivation to stop? Yeah. So. Any last bit of advice here as we, as we wind down? We're talking to Paul Greenberg. Any last yeah. bit of advice for parents in regards to phone, social media, et cetera? Um, I'd say don't be on autopilot about it. You know, there are many, many decisions that have to be made as your children grow, especially as they move into the teenage years. Don't assume that the um, decisions, the, the primary decisions, like am I getting a phone, first of all? So no phones until at least high school, I think. So that decision you should be involved with. Um, just because everybody's doing it is not a good argument. So be involved in, in talking through with that. Um, I think every social media platform that your children join, you should be a part of that decision. Um, you know, we, we discussed this, but it's worth emphasizing again, having spaces in your family by mutual consent that are phoneless times for human eye-to-eye -eye communication, vitally, vitally important. And I guess, you know, lastly, just be compassionate about it. Be compassionate to yourself, um, knowing your own weaknesses, and be compassionate to your children. Know that they are not the problem. The problem is this multi-billion dollar industry that is um, really, really uh, just doing everything they can to get your attention. And it's, you know, we as parents have to do everything we can to keep the focus of our children on compassion, understanding, and love. So where can people get your book? Uh, you know, <laughs> Eek! Well, you know, I, I'm a big fan of the independent bookstore. They, you know, the bookstores are open. Um, if you can get through, get to your independent bookstore, please go ahead and do that. Um, if you can't, um, IndieBound, um, uh, which is a great website, which connects independent bookstores you can go there and buy through them i'm not averse to buying on amazon i mean heck you know it's how um many authors live and die so it is available on amazon barnes and noble all the other places it's widely available but i would say get it physically in person because um those of you who have the video feed can see that there's a nice little window that you can look through which is kind of um meant to be it's funny when i first came up with the idea of this book i wanted it to actually come in a box like an iphone so what? that <laughs> It, people would think they were getting an iPhone. They opened the box like, what? Oh, no. But everyone <laughs> concluded that would have been too clunky. So we settled for this nice little window in the middle. I think um, it's nice to have the physical book. Um, and I think it makes the argument for itself just by its own physicality. Thank you so much. Great discussion, Paul Greenberg, author of the new book, Goodbye Phone, Hello World, 
60 Ways to Disconnect from Tech and Reconnect to Joy. I, I'm encouraging all of you to go out and get it um, wherever you get your books. Um, I appreciate the time. Thank you so much, Tim. Good luck with your book. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be back here in two weeks with another podcast. Um, if, if this is interesting to you, please pass it on. And this might be a good, good podcast to listen to with your daughter, especially if she's in middle school or high school. And you guys, hopefully it'll stir some conversations about technologies and devices and things in your home. I'll be back in two weeks. Uh, thanks for stopping by. Cool. Is that good? Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.